First Peter 5, we're going to look at the first five verses, uh, verses, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Let's uh, read along with me. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gathering of your church. We don't take this uh, lightly, Lord. This is what you have ordained for us as the people of God, that we would come together and gather under the banner of the Spirit and the word, the sacraments, and that we would um, uh, hear, thus saith the Lord. Lord, even as I say that, we are aware that as a fallible human being that's behind the pulpit um, espousing what you have said to us, but even so, Lord God, we trust that by your spirit and through these words, Lord God, that you have a word for us. So we pray that you give us uh, ears to hear and a heart to receive this morning, all that you have for us. And the congregation said, amen and amen. I, I saw what y'all did, that the, the words weren't on the screen, so y'all weren't reading with me, which means you didn't have your Bibles ready. All right. <laughs> I th- think I didn't catch that. So y'all join me like at verse 4. I should have y'all read this over again. All right, I, don't, I won't do that. All right, so as we begin chapter 5, obviously we are nearing the end of, of Peter's letter. And as he does that, he turns his attention to, to church leaders. And the word that Peter uses is the word elders. Okay, so we're going to be talking about church leaders, specifically elders today. Now, this is one of those topics that you don't talk about in church, definitely from the pulpit a lot. We, you know, if you come to our membership class, or if you might have been in a member meeting, we'll say some stuff about church leadership and, and, and elders and stuff like that. Um, for some of you, you come from church backgrounds or maybe no, no church background, but you've heard of pastors having ministers or, or pastors or perhaps you're a Catholic or Lutheran or uh, Episcopal and your, your church leader has been a priest, uh, Peter uses uh, the term elder. Actually, he uses a couple different terms. I'm going to expound on that in a couple of minutes. Uh, so just to, um, to help out the older people in the room, elder does not mean old people, right? Can I get the old people to say amen to that? Right? He's not talking about people who are using a cane and decrepit and like, can't, can't get around. Old uh, Elder has the sense of uh, mature people, spiritually mature people, who have the calling and capacity to shepherd God's people. That's what Peter means by the word elder. Likewise, when he says in verse 5, he's talking about the younger people being submissive to, uh, to, the, to the elders. He's not talking about age. Uh, age has a little bit to do with it, but more importantly, he's, he's encouraging people who, who don't hold the office of elder to, to be submissive to uh, the authority of the elders. More importantly, he's talking about uh, the need for, uh, for people to be humble followers. So that's really the point that we'll, that we'll end on. And this, this idea of humility is important. We're going to be talking about this for really two weeks. This is the first of the two weeks that we'll talk about it. And in a sense, the entire text is bounded by the need to be humble. And when it comes to humility and the requirement for that, Peter rightly starts with, with leaders. If you re, re, uh, recall, Peter has 
through really the middle part of his letter, talk to uh, almost every group of people in this dispersed church that he's encouraging. Back in chapter 2, he tells us that we should submit ourselves, that we should be subject to uh, the, the, the human governments that the Lord uh, institutes because the, the, they have the Lord's backing, right? And he says, be subject to them whether they are, are good or evil. He'll say the same thing to servants. He'll say, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but those who are unjust. And that's a hard thing to do. It requires humility, right? To, to wives and husbands, he'll say to wives, particularly wives that are in relationships where their husband is not a, a, a person of faith, he'll say to those wives that they should obey uh, such that they might win their husband over by the demeanor of their lives instead of the words that come out of their mouth. And to husbands, to all of us, he says, to, to live with our wives in an understanding way. And if you're married here today, you know that that requires a little bit, a lot of humility. And so it's right that Peter would, as he talks about humility, at the end of this letter that he would start with, with leadership. And here's what Peter is exhorting to, to leaders. He's saying, leaders, you're supposed to live and lead a very different version of leadership than that's what's, than what's in the culture around us. The culture around us in terms of, of leadership, CEOs and presidents of companies, it's like a dog-eat-dog -dog world, right? You, you, you're striving to be the best, to do the best so that you rise to the top and everybody else is underneath you and you're okay with, with that. And so Peter encourages us that the world should be able to see inside the church and compare the church to itself and see it as a contrast community. And if the church is supposed to be a contrast community, obviously the church needs contrast leaders. The, uh, the adage is, as the leader goes, so goes the organization. And that applies to the church as well. As the church goes, as the leader goes, so goes the church. And so as we talk about church leaders today, the first thing that Peter exhorts us and his readers too is about the office of elder. Look at verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter is setting us up, right? He's setting us up for what will come next as, he's, as he talks about uh, this idea of, of elders. Uh, uh, Peter is, is writing to the churches in Asia Minor, right? They're dispersed, but what's behind these letters here, these, these words here, is that Peter actually knew these people. At some point, he would have been among them. He would have actually gone to the various cities where they are. He would have found those who did not believe in Jesus, and he would have preached the gospel, and they would have come to faith. He would have stayed with them for some number of time, and then he would have, he would have, he would have planted a church, right? Kind of what we did here eight years ago. He would have started a church, and then over the course of years and months, he would have found those who had the calling and the semblance of church leadership, and he would have ordained them and put them in charge. And so he's writing to churches in Asia Minor that were led by a body of elders. The word elder here is the Greek word presbyteros. It's where we get the word presbyterian. So our church, Transit Church, is governed by presbyters. We're not, we're not presbyterian by denomination, but we are uh, we, we have a form of government that's Presbyterian in that it's an organizational system where multiple elders who have equal authority lead the church collectively. We also aspire to what, what Paul says, uh, the, the, the churches that we see um, in the New Testament that Paul was over, that, that he planted and he was over, really uh, they, they apply this uh, first among equals kind of philosophy in the church. That is like you can't have multiple heads that making decisions all at the same time. There has to be someone sort of leading and navigating uh, the, the organization as it goes. And uh, by our bylaws, I am that. So I'm the one that is the, the current lead pastor of our church, and I am the first among equals. I don't have a greater vote. If we're voting on an issue, say the color of the carpet, like all the elders get to say, all right, I want it to be gray, I want it to be black, I want it to be green, right? Y'all have been in churches where the congregation has done that, right? That's, that's not good. You could end up with chartreuse carpet, <laughs> right? So I don't get a bigger vote, uh, but I do get to lead the elders as we navigate the, the, the world and lead our congregation. Note um, that the important thing that Peter, Peter says here. He's echoing that he is himself a fellow elder, right? Even though, I mean, and we know Peter to be an apostle. 
He's, he's one that walked with Jesus. He was the part of the, 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 the closest three people that Jesus um, let us in on and relation, relationally as he uh, walked the earth and did his ministry. And yet Peter says he deems himself to be one of these, uh, one of these elders of these individual churches. That's an important point. And I think Peter is leveling the field of, of leadership. Some of us have been in organizations that, that have multiple levels of hierarchy. Those of you that work for the government, those of you that work in the military, we're used to a, a, a hierarchical form of leadership where you're the boss, you got some sub-bosses, and then managers and supervisors and all this other stuff. Peter is leveling the playing field when it comes to the church, and he says, guess what? The field is flat, and there's only one guy above it. Guess who it is? Jesus. Right? Jesus is the true senior pastor of every church. Verse 4 will call him the chief shepherd. He's the one that's leading and feeding and protecting and guarding all of us. And every pastor or leader that serves the church is really serving Jesus, right? And then through Jesus, we are serving as under shepherds to, to the church. And so perhaps you all know this. Maybe you don't. Trinity Church has elders, right? So I'm one of the elders, Nick is one of the elders. Nick, where are you? All right, look over to the right side of the church. That's Nick. He's one of our elders. Saju is one of our elders. Saju, right? So Nick and I are paid elders. You guys actually pay us to do this. You, you give us a salary that allows us to, to be devoted to sort of navigating, shepherding our, our church. Saju is, a, a, is in vocational ministry. He works for IJM. He's, uh, I don't even know your title, Saju. Don't tell me. It's like it's like way up there. Saji travels the world and um, uh, for international justice mission and helps that organization uh, try to rid the world of uh, the, the sex slave trade industry. And he works with governments and authorities to, to, to do that. So Saji is kind of a big wig, and we are fortunate to have him as, as one of the people who are helping us shepherd our church. All right, so we got three uh, primary elders. We actually have an elder in training. Where's Joseph Workman? Raise your hand. Joseph Workman, right there. What is an elder in training? It's someone that is going through a process of, of months. Actually, Joseph's been going through it for a couple of years, uh, not because he needs it, just because uh, we're just taking our time, right, um, of becoming an elder. And pretty soon, I mean, he's finished the process uh, a couple years over, and uh, at some point, he'll stand up here, and we'll lay hands on him, and he'll be an official uh, ordained elder of, of transit church. Uh, so you should know, because we do this with all of our elders in training, uh, we announce them to the church and tell them, hey, this is a, a man who we think has the character and calling to be a shepherd of our church. And if you, the congregation, see anything in his life that reflects, that, that, that's, that's, uh, that would bring an ill reproach on the body of the church, then let us know. And we will um, continue to test him to make sure he is qualified to be an elder of our church. So those are our elders and our elder in training. We also have one other individual uh, that we include among the elders, and that's Nick Bumgartner. Nick, raise your hand. He's in the back. All right, Nick is not an elder. He doesn't actually want to be an elder. I've tried to make him one. He doesn't want to be one. But uh, according to the IRS, uh, our elders form a board, and that board has uh, uh, certain and select positions. And Nick, for the last few years, has been our treasurer. Uh, he's one that I trust. He's one that doesn't think like a pastor. He doesn't think like me, and I love it when he's around me because he's one that tells me no, right? And everyone that is leading an organization actually needs someone that's not like him, that actually is not afraid to tell him no, particularly when it comes to your money, right? The money that, God, that you give to God. So those are our elders. Give a big round of applause for transit church elders. And so these are, these are godly men and their wives who... Um, who we're blessed to have to serve our church. And here's the thing with our church, like the, the, the being in D.C. has made us a transient church. And so actually a, a year ago we had five elders. What happened? The army swooped two of them away. All right? So we don't, you know, don't lay hands on anyone suddenly. We take our time to make sure a person is called and qualified to serve you as a shepherd in, in our congregation. But there are more of you out there that, could, that we could call and qualify to be an elder. And so as a pastor, I'm always looking for those who I think have the calling and the capacity um, to, uh, to serve God's church in that capacity. But here's, here's why that's important to you. Here's why it's important for you to know who your elders are. They are, according to Peter, to be examples to the flock. That's what he says in verse 3. 
They're to be examples to the flock. In other words, elders are not uh, to call the church some, to something that they themselves are not willing to do. Right? You want to be able to see your elders doing the very same thing that, that we, through the scriptures, and based upon the needs of our church, are, are calling you to do. We are meant to lead the body by example. So, for example, when we, you know, when we talk about volunteering, using your gifts where you're uh, serving the church where you're gifted or where you're called, you, know, you can look at the lives of all, all of our elders and, and see that they are like currently doing that, using their gifts to serve the church where they're gifted or where they are called. When we talk about being in a community group, okay, our elders are, are in or leading a community group of some sort in our church. When we talk about coming to the building and like a, a building cleanup day, I can't lie here. It, a couple of elders are there, me and Nick. That's because y'all pay us to be here. Um, but the truth is, sometimes it's me and Nick and none of y'all, right? Except for maybe Jonathan and Jessica DeFru. So help a brother out. Y'all, when we announce building cleanup, come help a brother out. Let's, let's clean this building together. But the point is, elders serve an exa- as an example of what's normative for the entire body of a local church. And so Peter calls elders to be an example of the chief elder. Uh, Peter, uh, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 11, follow me as I follow Christ. That's a bold statement to make. You're inviting someone to peer into your life and see uh, all the things that they could possibly see about you as you're, as you're trying as best you can to follow Jesus. And of course, no one can say that as well as Paul can. And that's an interesting call for a pastor, for an elder, given that we're all broken and very needy people. And so as I say that elders serve as an example, in the example of Jesus, of course, I'm saying your elders do that imperfectly. The closer you get to our lives, the more you realize that like, we, don't, we don't hold all these truths, um, uh, we don't live up to them as perfectly as we would want to. That said, an elder's task is to set an example for all to see. And so that's the office of an elder. In verse 2, Peter goes on to talk about uh, the, uh, the duty of an elder. So he says, I exhort the elders amongst you, verse 2, to shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. All right, we're going to break these, these terms down because they encompass what an elder is supposed to do. But before I get to that, the, the thing I want you to note is uh, Peter in verse 1 and verse 2 has used three terms that the Bible uses interchangeably to talk about leaders in the church. In verse 1, he used the word elder, Greek word presbyteros. In verse 2, he uses shepherd. Okay, that's the word pastor, poema, Greek word. And then uh, later on, he uses the word oversight or overseer. That's the word, the Greek word episkopos, right? That's where we get the word bishop. So he's giving us three different pictures of what it looks like, what a church leader looks like. Uh, an elder is someone that you, uh, like in the Old Testament, it was the, it was the, the, the mature person, right, that, that sort of um, managed, uh, managed the, the town, the village. He sort of helped the village do all the things that it was supposed to do. The word shepherd is, uh, is the word pastor, okay, and that's, that's a person that's leading, uh, caring for, um, uh, feeding the, the, the flock of God, right? And then this, this overseer word is important because it's the picture of, of administration and of ruling. And so the, the idea is a person that's leading the church doesn't necessarily have to be gifted in all those areas, but th- that encompasses the role, okay? They should be able to do all those kinds of things. But it's the word overseer that I want uh, to, to peer into a little bit. And this might seem obvious, but what, what Peter is telling us is you can't exercise any, any of these things. You can't be an elder, a shepherd, or an overseer, particularly an overseer. You can't exercise oversight unless you are like, actually present among the, the people. Now, some of you have been in churches where the, perhaps it was a mega church, a big church, and you only saw the, the pastor on Sunday on a big screen like from way, way away, and you had no connection to him other than that. 
And some of you were in smaller churches like ours, and perhaps you, you did not have a close and personal relationship or any relationship with the pastor as well. I think what Peter is telling us that that's not really the kind of relation, that's not kind of the, the task for a pastor. There should be some semblance of being present. Peter suggests that elders need to be amongst, that's the word that he uses, which I, I equate to being accessible, available, up close, and, and personal. You should be able to watch an elder's life as he's lived it out and see him leading and loving his family. You should see him being above reproach as we are encouraged in 1 Timothy 3 in the community, that, that there's nothing about his life that would bring ill repute uh, against the church. You should see him, as, if he's not employed by the church, being faithful to whatever his secular job is. You should see him following Jesus as a humble example to the rest of the flock. But here's what I know to be true. It actually takes a, a lot of humility, right, to, to let people know you that, that way. It takes a lot of humility to let people get that close to you. Let me ask you a question. Like, this is for all of us. You guys like letting people get close up to your life? All right, so the extroverts are saying, yeah, why not, right? You're like, come on, like, you can see anything you want. But most of the introverts and some of us that are like, like, like right in the middle are saying, well, let me think about that, right? Because even on the outside, where we may say, you know what, I like people. I might even love people. And I don't mind getting to know people and them getting to know me. But here's the thing. When people get close, they get to see me, right? They get to know me. And, and it's not just like the Jeff with clothes on and like how, how I'm presented up here. It's, it's the real me. And the truth is, it takes humility to be okay with that. Here's a dirty little secret about pastors. And y'all have heard me say this before. And I'll just, I'm just going to tell you because you need to know. Is pastors want to impress. Most pastors are people pleasers, and we will say and do some things that, that not, I just want you to like me, right? I want, you to, I want to get up on this stage, and uh, I want you to like my sermon. I want you to laugh every once in a while. I, I want you to be aware and, and awe of my gifts and abilities. And if I keep you far enough away, I can do and say the things that might make you think that about me, that I'm an okay guy, Right? You might even idolize me. I want to impress you, for you to be impressed with me. But if I let you get close, guess what you'll figure out? I'm human. I'm fallible. I'm normal. I'm sinful. So I got a friend. He's, a, he's kind of a celebrity pastor. If I said his name, you wouldn't know him. But if I said his name about, around most pastors, he would... Uh, you know, he's like well-known. Why? Because he pastors a historic church, at least he used to, and because he's written commentaries and books, like books that, that Nick and I would go buy from, from Amazon or a, a store to help us unpack texts like this. He's that kind of guy. And he says uh, there was a, he was leading a small group um, from his home in his church, and an incident happened that, that, uh, that has helped him out in, in, his, in his role of being a pastor. He says there's a young lady that approached him and she, uh, in, in small group, and she's like, like I, I don't get it. I don't, I like, the people are telling me that you're like a, like people know you, that you travel around at conferences and speak and, and like you've written books and stuff, and I'm in your house and I'm seeing you and your kids and you just look normal to me. Like, like I don't see the big deal. I mean, I, I don't want to say that, like, I don't, like, I don't, uh, uh, get something out of the things that you say. You say a lot of things that really help me, but I mean, ugh, you, you're just okay, <laughs> right? And he says that that was that, like that was like very humbling for him because you know he was a person that had the capacity to impress a lot of people. But the truth is, a woman that was in his home in a small group got to know him for who he was, and and, and he realized, you know what? I am just a human being. I'm normal. And that's what happens when you let people in. When you let people in like that, it's hard to continue to be impressive, but it is an opportunity to be humble. Leaders can't be examples of what it means to follow Jesus if they stay distant. And here's what Peter says. He says, Peter says, we have to be amongst the flock. That's what a leader is supposed to do. We have to be near. At least we're supposed to. Elders aren't an example of perfection. Who is? It's Jesus. Jesus is the only example of perfection that we have. And just like you, 
and elders are supposed to grow in the gospel as we grow up in Jesus. There are some other things the Bible says about elders. Here's an important one. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3 that it's good to aspire to eldership. Look at what 1 Timothy 3 says. We're going to look at these verses. I don't want it to uh, uh, overtake what we're looking at in, in, in 1 Peter, but this would be a parallel verse to, to, that we look to, to to give us a qualification for overseers. He says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all the dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. All right, there's a lot there, all right? So we're not going to take the time to unpack that, but there's a couple things that I think are important to, to remember, and the first is that an elder has to aspire to it. Like, uh, like if you are a person that's the most gifted person in the world, but there's nothing in you that feels like you're supposed to be a leader over the church, that is, call, you have a calling from God, like a sense that, man, I'm supposed to do this in a spiritual sense, then you probably shouldn't do it, right? Because you're not going to have the the wherewithal to, 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 to care for and lead the, the flock like you're supposed to. And so that's the first thing that I would, I would mention. The other thing, though, is, and this is key, except for what it says at the end of verse 2, I think it was, that an elder has to have the capacity to be able to teach. The, the rest of these qualifications are the qualifications for any leader, right? It's, these are the qualifications for you and your home as you lead your family, okay? So in a sense... There, there's some calling and qualification to be an elder, but in a sense, it's just being a good disciple of, of Jesus. But what I think comes out more so in 1 Timothy 3 that mirrors what we see in 1 Peter 5 is, is that leadership is an opportunity to serve. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, uh, 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 an aspiring overseer leads in his community he leads in his home so that he can lead in the church. And that really is the, the, the right frame of, of sequence for, for an elder. If we don't see him leading in his home and leading in the community, then we probably don't want to see him leading in the church. And so Peter says in 1 Peter 5, leadership is an opportunity to serve. It's not a have to, right? It's not a have to. It's, it's a get to. We serve Jesus by serving his body. Verse Two, he says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Compulsion is to, to have some sense uh, that you have this outside force impressing itself on you to get you to do something you don't want to do. Now, some of you probably grew up in, in environments like that, where your, your, your parents perhaps were overbearing. Uh, if they were a Christian family, maybe they were legalistic and uh, when it came to, to doing things, doing everything, it felt like you were like, like, do it or else you're going to get in trouble, right? Some of us uh, perhaps uh, feel like that in the environment that you're in right now, maybe where you work or how you live. Maybe you feel like you're under that kind of pressure. Some of you may feel like that in your approach to, to church, right? That you grew up with church being a, a have to, not a get to. And so when it comes to you even coming to, to, to uh, the, the gathered worship or maybe even opening your Bibles, uh, you do it out of a, it's like you're squeezing out a gnat. It's like, I don't really want to do this, but I feel like I have to, or else I'm going to get in trouble, which means you're doing it from a perspective of, of legalism and, and duty. And, and so I want to make a, make a clarification. I think there's all of us that, that sort of have this in us that that we would fight against ourselves to do the things that, that we should do. That's why we have spiritual disciplines in the Christian life. Galatians 5, there's, there's this war in us, a war between your flesh, you doing what you want to do, and the spirit, which is always drawing you to Jesus. That, that war exists, and so we have to, to have forcing functions that makes us want to do the things uh, that God wants us to do. But I would say if in your life there's this overarching compulsion to everything that you do, then that, that's a check that God has put there for you to, to sort of think about, to meditate on. 
Here's what Paul says in Romans 5. He says, we come to faith. When we come to faith, God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And so the way that God wants you to respond to him is from a willing heart, right? That we would be willing. We respond willingly to God because we experience his love for us. And the more that you discern God's love for you, the more that you would be willing to do the things that he's calling you to do. It's one of those get-tos, not a have-to. Now, Paul is talking, uh, Peter's talking about church leaders here, right? And so when it comes to, to church leaders, if an elder is serving the church from a primary motivation of, of should ought, like, like I, I, it's not I get to do this, I, I have to do it, then that would be a problem. Because he won't be leading from a compelling nature that flows from a love of God towards the people of God. Instead, he'll be leading from a position of religious obligation that will leak into the church. And so the church from this, leaders, from this elder's leadership is going to uh, take on that same stance. And so instead of compulsion, here's what Peter says. An elder is supposed to have this, I, I get to do this. Not only I get to, I want to do this. And so I hope you know this, Transit Church. Your elders, both your paid elders, me and Nick, but also the, 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 the elders in our church that are volunteering their time to serve and lead and care for you, we're here because... We want to be here, right? We, we get to do this. This is a great privilege for us to get to know you, to get into your lives, to be able to, uh, to offer you our, our thoughts on, uh, um, on how to lead uh, a life honoring to God. And one of the ways that an elder uh, loves and serves Jesus is by serving the, the, the congregation that God has given them. So I hope you know that that's, that's the kind of the, the aim that we have towards you as your elders. Verse 2, he keeps on going. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. As I've said a couple times, Transit has two paid elders. All right, that's me and Nick. The rest of our elders serve unenumerated. I think that's healthy for a church to have um, a few people that can devote their time to the care of a church, but also to have people who aren't encumbered by, like, like the church is paying them, and so they feel uh, pressured to do or say the right thing for the care of the church. But, I mean, they're just free, like, to, to, to listen to God and, and to, to do what, um, what's right for the, on behalf of the church. And so when you hear me say, or Nick say at the end of, end of service, uh, as we're giving a response that uh, we, we contribute financially to the church, the local church, um, to, to support the needs of the local church, part of that is the salary that you pay to me and Nick, right? It also goes to Obviously, keeping the lights on and paying for the stuff that we use in the church. There's certain department leaders that we uh, pay an enumeration to. But for the most part, uh, you, you pay us to help equip you. Here's a misnomer that you pay your pastor to do everything. Like you guys pay us to, to keep the building clean. Y'all don't pay us to keep the building clean. Like that's the, that's the corporate responsibility. I guess y'all didn't know that, but it is. <laughs> right? That, that's not why you pay us. You don't pay us so that Nick and I would do everything. Uh, you pay us so that we can have uh, devoted time to disciple you and equip you so that you are everything that God wants you to be. That's, that's why you have vocational pastors. With that said, Paul says, it's okay for elders to be paid. First Timothy 5.17 says, especially for those who labor in preaching and teaching, they are worthy of double honor. And what that does is it frees some pastors to devote themselves to that kind of work. And I would, I mean, I would be crazy if I didn't say that's an honor as a pastor to have his church pay for him to do the thing that he feels called to, called to do. But I hope you can discern that we don't do this because we get paid, right? We're not doing this because we know there's going to be some financial gain uh, on the other end of it. Anytime an elder or a leader is, is serving the church because they're getting paid, that's already a compromise, it's a shameful game, Peter would say. It's serving God and his people for pay instead of out of a love for Jesus, compelling them to do what they get to do. So we don't want leaders of any type, not just elders, but any of our leaders in our church who are called to serve just because they get paid. I remember the early days of our church. Dre and Faber remember this. Well, y'all, y'all probably didn't even know this, right? When we moved from, when my family moved from North Carolina to Northern Virginia, 
like I, did, I wasn't a good fundraiser, so thank God my church allowed us to, to segregate the giving of those who were coming with us. We had four families, Dre and Feby included, the Jagways, the Duhames, Erica Gordon, there's a few others of us, and uh, all of us in that church, we, we basically, the church held all of our giving for six months, then we moved up here, and so we had a lump sum of money, but like we couldn't spend that money because we needed to buy equipment and all this kind of stuff, and so what did Jeff do? My family lived off of my army pension, and I actually went and got a job. I substitute taught in Fairfax County Public Schools for two whole years. Why did I do that? Well, my family needed to eat, right? We needed clothes on our back, but I was called to this, right? It wasn't about me getting paid, starting a church so I could get paid. I felt called to start a church, and those who were with me, I mean, felt the burden as well. And so, um, and that's just how it is. We were having an elder meeting last week, and, you know, this time of year, churches start talking about budget for the next year, and uh, our goal as an elder team has been to, to pay Nick more, right? So and you guys got to know, like, Nick's been on uh, October 19th, which is his fourth year as a, as a pastor on Transit Church staff, so happy four years, Nick, Nick Montezo. And we're still working our way up to paying him what he deserves to get paid as a pastor, Right? And so we're talking about giving him a little bit of a bump in, in his pay. And Nick made these comments, and kudos to him for doing it. It was unsolicited. He says, guys, look, check it out. My family's doing okay. Uh, we're able to, to, to do all that we need with what you pay me for. I, if you want to give me a raise, I'll take it. Like to ching He says, but I don't do this because you pay me. Right? Don't you? I mean, we did, you can't pay for that. Right? He's, he's called to this. And we want, we want and need to have that kind of leadership. Otherwise, we're like the hired hand in John 10. Remember John 10? Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And what did the good shepherd do? The good shepherd guards, leads, um, protects, um, cares for the flock. He's willing to stand at the door of the gate where there's wolves coming in, and, and he will fend those wolves off. As opposed to the hired hand, what does the hired hand do? The hired hand is going to hold his hand out, and as long as he's getting paid, He's going to stay there at the gate. But when the pay stops or when the threat becomes overwhelming, he's going to remove himself and he's going to leave the sheep there to fend for themselves. And so a pastor's duty is to his local church until Jesus tells them to go elsewhere. And that's the culture we want in our church, even if it means that the pastor has to get a job somewhere else. There are plenty of churches, and I have friends that, that serve their church they get enumerated a certain amount of money, and they fundraise for the rest, and that's not unheard of. I'm glad that I don't have to do that. Like, don't, don't hear me saying something different. Like, I'm glad that Nick and I don't have to do that, but it's not uncommon. You guys know that we share this church, this building, with, uh, with Legacy Ministries. And the only reason why we are here is because uh, two and a half years ago, the unthinkable happened, all right? They had to, to fire their pastor because of some... Uh, uh, some immorality, right? And so 90% of the church that was there left when this pastor left. And it left them in kind of a, a tight spot. And so you have a few leaders and a few followers who are left with, with all of this and like the, the thought of, well, how do we keep our church together? And, and the Lord um, put it on their hearts to, I mean, to, to, to just try and maintain what they had. And so they found us uh, and offered us an opportunity to come and share this space with them. And so that, that's really, that really is why we're here. And in the meantime, over these last two years, guess what this church has done? They, they've, they've been faithful, right? Faithful to God and his word. They've been faithful to pray that God would add to their number and that we ha- he would add to them financially. And so I would tell you today, Legacy Ministries, they've rebranded their church. And I mean, same leaders and all that, but they've grown. They're probably, the same, probably the, uh, a similar size as us. And this whole two years, the, the pastor that's been leading them has not got paid a cent. Like serving faithfully, I mean, he serves as hard and as faithfully as I do and has not gotten paid a cent. Why would he do that? Because he's called to it. Because it's not a have to, it's a get to. And that's kind of what we expect and what we want out of those who serve our church. And I think this is important because, there, you know, there, are, there might actually be a day in our country when, when nonprofit status goes away. You guys remember the Democratic prim- primary when Beto O'Rourke had the nerve to say that he would take away the nonprofit status for all organizations 
uh, and churches that don't agree with a, a very progressive stance on, on gender and LGBT and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not trying to uh, be political about that. We want to, we want to, uh, everyone in our country deserves certain, certain rights, right? But that, that very much may happen, all right? We're, talk, we're talking about the persecution of the church, really, in, the, in regards to 1 Peter 5. And so those kinds of things could happen. Maybe the economy gets so bad that it precludes people, like all of y'all here, from giving generously, as generously as, as you have for the time that you've been here, right? I'm not prophesying for these things to happen, but they could happen. And here's what our Bible says. The Bible says that things don't, I mean, we're not winding up to some better condition in our world than we are now. We just went through Daniel at the beginning of part of the year, and, and, and Daniel informs us there will be kings upon kings and rulers upon rulers, but there's only one kingdom that's going to stand, right? And so the world is it's not winding up to something great. It's winding down to something that's a little bit worse than what we're experiencing right now. And that worse is going to get worse until Jesus returns. And so a leader serves not because of what people or the church can give them. Elders should be willing to serve the church, even if they sometimes don't get the financial uh, enumeration that comes along with that. And so here's where we are now. A leader not only gets to lets people get close, but loves people and the church, not just for what they can give him. Because Jesus doesn't love us for what we give, for, for, for how we love him. Jesus doesn't love us for what we give him. Jesus loves us, the Bible says, because he loves, because he is love. Verse 3, Peter says, Shepherd the flock, not for domineering over those in your charge, but for being examples to the flock. I can't read these verses without thinking of, of the incident in the Gospels where James and John come to Jesus and, and they say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, uh, like, do anything that we ask you to do for us. And what they wanted was authority. They wanted to, to be on the same level as Jesus in terms of his authority uh, in the church, in the world. And I think their mother was even a part of it. And Jesus looks at them and says, I, I don't know if you know what you're asking. He says, uh, can, you, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they says, of course we can. And, and Jesus says, yes, you will. And when he says that, he's saying, all right, you guys are apostles, and, and, and you're going to drink the cup and be baptized with the same kind of death that I'm going to, going to experience. But here's the thing. For, for you to sit at my left and for my right, I, I can't give that away. Only God can give that away. And what Jesus was doing in that moment was he was redefining what it means to be great. See, James and John, they, they wanted to dominate those who were, who were around them. They wanted to, to be numbered amongst those that had the greatest authority alongside Jesus. And Jesus saying, hey, that's not, the, that's not the mark of greatness. What's the mark of greatness? It's being humble. It's being a servant. And that's what elders are called to, right? Uh, uh, someone defined humility as is uh, not thinking uh, uh, less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, Right? That's what humility is. And so when leaders look at people as the means by which you get things done, you'll use people rather than serve them. I think that goes for, for, for those of us who are, who are parents that have kids in the home. It might go for those of you who are supervisors and managers and bosses at your workplace. And it, it especially goes for leaders in the church. In arrogance, we might try to control and manipulate people to get them to do the very things that we want them to do. Those of you that are, that are parents in the room, uh, like, I, I know I'm right because I've done this, right? Haven't you parents thought this out loud or perhaps even said it to your kids? Like, like kiddos, life would go easier for you if you would just do what I'm telling you to do and do what I, do what I say, like, all the time. Right? Like, y'all, y'all parents have not said that? Thought it? I have. I probably said it out loud, right? If my kids would just do everything I say for them to do, then life would go easy for them. And it's not that I don't love my kids. I just want life to be easy for me, right? But, but here's what love says. Love says, even when my kids don't do all those things that I want them to do, I still serve and I still care for them, right? Parents, you are willing to pour yourself out for your kids, and I, I think the same thing for those of you that serve in capacities of leadership in the workplace. 
I hope the same thing for those of you that, get, that, that serve in capacities of leadership in the church. And even when people don't respond the way we want them to, we have the attitude that, like, we're here to serve, right? We're here to serve like Jesus did to Peter. Remember Jesus and Peter's encounter? Jesus asked, well, well who do people call me? And, uh, and, and, and Peter has the, the revelation. Uh, you're, the, you're, the, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You're the Christ, right? And then Peter goes on immediately after that to, to, to tell Jesus, after, after Jesus, uh, gives the, Jesus says, like, I'm going to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the people. And, and, and Peter says, Jesus, ain't no way I'm going to let you do that. And Jesus says to what to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Fast forward, Jesus has been betrayed by, by Judas he gets arrested in the, midst of, in the midst of one of his trials with Caiaphas, the high priest. Uh, Peter denies Jesus three times, the, the, the rooster crows. And then fast forward to John 21. Jesus, is, uh, Jesus comes to Galilee. The disciples are already there. They're out fishing. Peter gets word that it's Jesus on the shore. He takes his clothes off. He jumps into the water. He swims really fast to the shore so he can be around Jesus. And then Jesus pulls Peter to the side and says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Jesus, uh, Jesus' reply to Peter was, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. Peter, of all people, knew that the only way that we can have this kind of leadership is when aspiring leaders have their eyes set on something bigger than pay, bigger than dominating other people. Peter, the Peter, same Peter, who, who messed up, right? Messed up so much that Jesus had to restore him. I think we want that kind of leadership. And so let me give you permission to do this, Transit Church. If you see me or any other leader using position to get what we want, please say something, right? You have that authority in our church to say something to us because that's not the right leadership. Verse 4, so Peter's talked about the elder's office. He's talked about the elder's duty, and in verse 4, he gets at this idea that there's an, as a reward for those who serve as elders in the church. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. So what is this unfading crown of glory that Peter is, is talking about? I think there's really one, only one kind of unfading glory that we see in the scriptures, and it's not a, an it or a thing. It's actually a person. It, it's Jesus and so what an elder gets for their service is they get more of the Lord himself, right? Like he is the true glory of God. Uh, many times in our sermons we talk about what does it mean to live for the glory of God. It really is why we exist. It's our very purpose. It's to give our all for the one who gave him all, his all for us. And we should all want to put our minds and our hearts and our affections on the glory of Jesus above our own, especially our leaders. And here's why. Because Jesus' glory is the only glory that will ever, never, never fade away. Here's the truth about you and me. Is that like our, our lives and anything that, that, that's a, a great acclaim of our lives is, is, is fading away. Now, you guys are a young congregation. You got, I mean, you look good. Don't you know y'all, y'all look really good? Most of you um, have gifts upon gifts, like, a, uh, like we could just uh, spend a whole afternoon talking about the, the great gifts and talents that you have as a people, but I will tell you that all of that eventually fades away, right? So at some point in your life, all those things that you could brag about right now, you won't be able to brag about in, in, in days ahead. And, 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 and that's not a bad thing. It all fades, but our hope shouldn't be in our giftings and our abilities. Our hope should be in the church, and it, it, it's not in some specially gifted or, or a pastor that has some great ability. Our hope is in Jesus, right? We all fade in nature. Jesus' glory does not fade. And if there's any crown that we should want on our heads, over our heads, it's, it's this unfading crown of the glory of our Lord Jesus, the head of the church, glorified in all that we do because he's the one that will never fail. Here's the last thing that, that Peter says, and we'll conclude with this. He talks about an elder's reception. In other words, so, all right, so we have these people who are called and that, that the church can qualify to be leaders in the church, and so how are the people of God to, to receive them? And what Peter does is he gives the, the church an idea of, of how to receive these elders, but then he turns it back on them and says, it's not just about them, 
them serving you, it's also about how you follow, right? So he's talking about elders' reception, but he's also talking about being humble followers. Verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility, one toward another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This text, uh, this verse in, in, in particular, segues into verse 6 and 7, and, and all the way through verse 11, which we'll talk about next week. So I won't say a lot, a lot here. We'll pick that up, this idea of humility next week. But, but note how much we've already talked about humility. I began the, the, the sermon today saying that, you know what, this, this text is bounded by this idea of, of being humble. We can't serve Jesus the way that he calls us to serve, serve him. We can't be uh, in, in close proximity to each other without there being some sense of humility about how we live our lives together. And, and, and here's what Peter is saying. The church needs humble leaders, but the church also requires humble followers. And that, that's you. Right? That's all of us. Here's the beauty of this. In, in, in the church, leaders are supposed to lead, but they're also supposed to submit to the body. Right? There's this mutual submission. And this is a useful, useful checkpoint. While God calls you to submit to your elders, he also calls elders in humility to submit, and submit uh, to one another. And I think this is a, a beautiful picture of the mutual submission of the church. And so if you're a leader like, like Nick and I, pastors of your, of your church, this is God's grace to us in that if one of you sees something in us that, that is not exuding godly character, what should you do? You should come to us and, and make note of that so that we can in turn pray about it and, and seek God about it and, and perhaps even submit ourselves to the church enough that we would repent about it. We all have to be clothed in, in, in humility to say and receive that kind of correction. And I, I think really what it takes is us getting over ourselves long enough to be clothed uh, in the humility that, 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 that Peter is suggesting here. And we need this, right? If we're to stick together, fulfill the mission, the vision that God has called us as a church, we need to be humble. We need the, the humility of Jesus, but we also need his grace. And that's the point that, that I'll end on today. Verse 5, the latter half, Peter says, For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There's a warning here. There's a warning for all of us. And the warning is, when you're prideful in your leadership, or if you're prideful in your followership, a, a prideful leader says, hey, I'm going to dominate you. I, I, you do it my way or it's the highway. And a, a prideful follower says, well, pff, I'm looking at you and you're no better than me. I'm not, I'm not following you. Then here's what the word of God says. It says, you're one that God opposes, right? God opposes those who are proud. But I would say the antithesis of that is a beautiful thing. And the antithesis is those who see their need of grace, right? And, and there's not a person in here that does not need God's grace. And that's the point that I want to end on. Um, so our church is eight years old. I've been your lead pastor for a while. I was your only pastor. And today I'm making the solemn announcement that I am stepping down as your pastor come the end of the year. Right? Why would I do that? It's time. It's time. Um, a mentor of mine said that uh, uh, God doesn't call us from something, but to something else. And many of you, because of your jobs in the government or in the military, are used to people being, well, the government saying, all right, go here, go there. And, you know, God isn't a government, but he kind of does that as well. And, uh, you know, so the, the, the mantra of, of my life and my family's life is that we're on a journey, right? And guess what? The journey is not Jeff thinking what he's going to do and then going to do it. The journey is a journey with God where I'm led by his word and the spirit, and I'm trying as, as, as obediently as I can to do what I discern the Lord saying to do. For, so the, for the last year, really more than that, my wife and I have been uh, wrestling with the Lord over this idea of, of how long we should um, pastor the, the transit church. And to be honest with you, when a person plants a church, unless you're an apostle, right? Like Paul and Peter, they, they planted a church, 
they rose up leaders, raised up leaders, and they just left and went to another city. Like, I don't have that gift. Like, I ain't doing that. Um, but some people do. And so when I planted the transit church, came from North Carolina all the way up here, I thought I'd be here till, you know, until, until death parted me. Am I saying that right? Until death happened, right? At least I thought I'd be, you know, on the stage, pastoring and preaching uh, and leading our church till about 60. And then when I, got, I had too much gray hair or no hair, which is like happening, that, that I'd move aside and like I'd just sit in my office and counsel people and drink coffee. Uh, but the Lord has something different. Uh, so God doesn't call us away from something, but to something else. And so for the last couple of years uh, in God's grace and really in his providence, um, he's allowed me to be a part of an organization that, um, that, that, that majors in, in church planting. And, you know, I'm, I'm a church planter through and through. We're in the Acts 29 Church Planting Network uh, because I see church planting as a, as a means that God would have to, a, to, to help to find people that don't know Jesus and to introduce him to, to them, introduce them to him. So over the last two years, I've had the, the pleasure of working with an organization called Leaders Collective, and I've traveled the country and met with young guys um, who are starting churches and have been privileged to help them uh, come to health and, and start and grow healthy churches, and the opportunity has been given to me to do that uh, with more of my time. And so uh, we think it's the right time. At the same time, you know, this is the church that I started. It's the church that I founded, and, uh, and I'm looking at some of you, and there's only a couple of you that were in the room when we very first started. Um, but this is a bittersweet moment um, because I love you. Um, I'm rambling because it's hard. Uh, I'm not leaving immediately. Actually, I'm preaching in two weeks. I'll be preaching through the end of the year. You're going to see me in and out. Um, so, so what's going to happen? We're working that out. Me and your elders. This plurality of elders as we decide what's going to happen to the church. Um, we actually did offer uh, Nick Mudrazo, our associate pastor, um, who's been with us for four years, the opportunity to, to pray and see if God would call him to, to lead our church. And uh, him and Jim prayed about it, and they said yes. So... Uh, the person that I'm turning over lead pastor of the church to is, is Nick Mudrazo. Here's what you get, Nick. You get somebody that you know, right? He's not a stranger. Um, Nick has been, in the words of Peter, someone that has lived among you, right? He's led and um, shepherded you faithfully for the last four years. Nick came in. He was immediately part of our DNA. And, uh, and I think he's the person that God would have to take the transit to, uh, you know, on to it uh, in, in its next season. Um, just so you know, my family isn't going anywhere. Uh, we won't be, you know, in the church. That would be unfair to Nick as he establishes his leadership here. But we're still going to be living on, you know, living in Alexandria, Virginia. Our kids are going to go to the same schools. And we'll be around. So you guys will be always in our heart. Um, I could say a lot more. There's, there's some of you that, that need more information than, than that. Um, and uh, unfortunately, this is like the worst uh, venue to, to announce something like that's in, this in, but such as 2020, right? Like, like nothing goes the way you want it to in, in 2020. So I thought that talking about elders and what your elders do for you, um, talking a little bit about the history of the church, more importantly, using the, the live stream and those of you who are here in person uh, to, you know, to make it known so that we can move forward with the transition would be the right way to do that. Um, Trinity Church, I love you. I love you more than, um, than some of you even know. For those of you who are new, like, especially if you're here for the first time today, like this is like the worst day <laughs> that you could ever come to church here. Um, so if you're here for the first time today, all right, give Trinity Church a chance, all right? Don't, don't base the church on what you're hearing me say. Um, ask some people around you, you know, why they're here. But with that, um, let's be faithful to what the Lord has called us to together on the journey, right? Like I led the first season, there are many more seasons to go in the life of this church. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. Thank you for, for, for the foresight of God through the, the spirit to the, the, the apostles of the church to see um, the formation of leadership in the church as you would have it. We thank you for how you've organized the church to have uh, selfless uh, leaders of humility who lead it 
not in a domineering way, not for shameful gain, but they lead as you would have them. And the way that you would have us to lead is, is from a perspective of humility. And let, Lord, that's for, for most of us, for most of us humans, that's a hard thing to do. So we thank you for Transit Church and, and for the, the years of life that you have given her. I thank you mostly for her elders and those who you have called and qualified to serve her as shepherds. Mostly we thank you for Jesus, the chief shepherd. Lord, you're the one that we look to. You're the one that, that, that leads and, and, and feeds and sustains and grows your church. We look to men and, and, and we're disillusioned because they're fallible. They, they're, they mess up. They sin. But Jesus, you're perfect. And so, Lord, as, as a perfect God leading your church, Lord, we pray that you would uh, that you would continue to lead and feed and sustain Transit Church in the days ahead. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, folks, let's respond to God's word today. I'm going to ask you to stand and we'll sing a song with the worship team. And uh, Pastor Nick will be up to respond with giving and communion in a few minutes. God bless you.